0: It's so good to be together tonight in the presence of God to honor Him and worship together. As was mentioned, we have some visitors with us tonight, and we're glad that you're here. Several of our own are out with sickness and various things like that. We're, it's good to see a pretty full building tonight, those that want to honor God and worship Him. Appreciate the songs that were just led. Uh, this last one, especially Joshua, what a, a man of courage. We were studying him this morning in the foundations class uh, the rest of the classes will get to study him ne- next quarter, at the end of the quarter, and, and the next one after that. But uh, God told him to be strong and courageous, and he would be with him. And we're going to be talking tonight about being brave, being brave. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, Paul admonishes the Corinthians, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. As is the case with many virtues, uh, the virtue of bravery has been much perverted in our modern society. Uh, A lot of other virtues have as well, virtues like love and forbearance and standing up for your convictions. In modern times, love has come to mean uh, doing whatever makes you feel good or doing whatever the one you love makes them feel good. But it's all about feeling, about feeling good. Pleasure. Forbearance has come to mean tolerating anything and everything, right? That's that's forbearance means in our day and age. It's not the biblical concept of forbearance, but it's what we're told we're to do nowadays. Standing up for our conviction apparently means being hateful and defending your unfounded opinions on Facebook. That's that's what standing up for, for your convictions is all about. And again, uh, that's how it's been accepted in our society, but that's not the biblical idea. But bravery, as it's viewed in our society today, is is not someone, for instance, humbly confessing their sins and repenting. Rather, bravery in our day and time is someone who proudly reveals their sins and their perversions to the world and then demands that everybody applauds. That, that's bravery in the t- day and time we live in. So, so many of the, the virtues that are biblical and that are true and that are right have been sullied in modern thinking and perverted in modern thinking. And I think bravery, as I said, is one of those. The things that we as a culture and that the world sees as courageous and brave are much different than the things that God sees as courageous and brave. But from the time of Joshua and before, God has wanted his people to be courageous. There are a lot of different ways that we must show bravery. And we'll talk about some of them when we close the lesson tonight. But I just want to talk with you about the concept and we'll look at ways that it's exemplified in scripture and maybe understand that God's idea of bravery is on a much higher level than that of the world and probably on a higher level than most of us even conceive. And so share your minds with me as we think about bravery. I want to start with the example of Stephen in the New Testament. Stephen was, as you remember, one of the seven selected to uh, serve the tables, (laughs) a man full of the spirit and of faith. And uh, after that event, uh, he, go, he goes, goes on in the book of Acts to describe his great work in defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for that, he was called to give account before the Council of the Sanhedrin. And in, in doing that, he says what the Jewish leaders needed to hear. He bravely says the things that they needed to hear rather than something that they might have rather wanted to hear. He tells them, if you remember, the checkered history of Israel and their dealings with God. And so he sort of reviews Israelite history with them, most of which they would have to agree to and assent to, although some of it would have been uncomfortable for them because he points out through their history, the times that they disobeyed God and they were not what God wanted them to be. Uh, and, and that goes uh, on through the speech until he come, we come to Acts 7 and verse 51. And he gets to the punchline and he says to the people that he's talking to now, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the, the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. He's talking to the leaders of the Jews. He says, your forefathers disobeyed, were hard-hearted and stiff-necked, and so are you. They killed those who prophesied of the coming of the just one, and you have killed the just one. You've killed the Son of God. And so he chastises them, condemns them as being the murderers of the Christ. They didn't want to accept that, but it needed to be said. And Stephen said it with a whole lot of courage. And he lost his life as a consequence. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on the name of the Lord, verse 59 says. As he was calling on God, I should say, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. I wonder, sometimes I have wondered often over the years, someone who I am named after, why he chose to say the things that he said in the way that he said them. Couldn't he have taken another tactic and spared his life and still done what God wanted him to do. But the more I thought of it, the more I doubt that he could have. He might have said what needed to be said in some less straightforward and passionate way, but I don't think it would have made any difference. Why hadn't he said it in a way that maybe he could have avoided angering the Jews? Why didn't he ask When he was being stoned to death. Why didn't he ask Jesus to stop the men who were killing him. Instead of asking Jesus. Not to lay this charge. This sin to their charge. In Stephen. We see one. Who. Emulated Jesus. When it comes to the meaning of bravery. It was Jesus who willingly went to the cross. He didn't have to. In fact, when one of his disciples, Peter, and we'll talk about Peter in a little bit, Peter does this really brave thing, right? So the mob comes to arrest Jesus, and there's a good many of them, and they've got lanterns and torches, and torches and officers from the temple, and just apparently pretty big, uh, impressive show of force coming to arrest Jesus when they could have taken him any time. But they're this big show of force, you know, with, with all, all this stuff. And uh, Peter, one of the 12, when they try to arrest Jesus, he steps forward and you know draws his sword out and lops off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. Matthew's account of it, in Matthew 26 and verse 51 is this. One of those who are with Jesus, John names him as Peter. One of those who are with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish with the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me more than 12 legions of angels? From a worldly standpoint, and even from our standpoint, Peter showed a lot of bravery. But the kind of bravery Jesus was showing was on a whole nother level, wasn't it? In John's account of this, in John 18, they come to arrest Jesus and Jesus steps forward. Who are you seeking? And he says, Jesus of Nazareth. They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they fall back. And he asked them again, who are you seeking? And they asked him again, who he asked them again, who are you seeking? is Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, take me, it's me, let these go. Jesus, like the great hero that he is, willingly goes to the cross. He said earlier, "No one takes it, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down. The scene in the garden, to me, shows an immense courage that Jesus had that, as I said, is is way beyond anything any of his disciples would show. Way beyond anything Peter did. But it's a whole lot like what Stephen did. It's a whole lot like that. And, And the two are similar, Jesus and Stephen, in their deaths in more than this way. They could have approached it some other way. They could have maybe weaseled out of it. Jesus could have called, he says, these legions of angels. But neither one did. They faced it with a lot of courage. And they both, in the throes of death, in the moments that they're dying, in essence, say to the Father in heaven, Stephen saying to Jesus, lay not the sin to their charge. Jesus saying to the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a lot of love and courage being expressed in both cases. I think that's bravery. Years ago, a man by the name of Jim Elliott wrote these words He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And what he was talking about was giving up his life in order to have eternal life. The very thing that Jesus asked all of us to do. Jim Elliott wrote those words that are famous among some people in a journal while he was in college. A little later in his life, he decided he wanted to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to Ecuador, to so some of the native tribes there who've never heard the gospel. And I say the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not sure that Jim Elliot really knew the depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that he and I would agree on what all that was. But he goes to Ecuador, and he and uh, three other men, four of them all together, try to make contact with the Aka tribe of Ecuador, They had not been contacted by the outside world much to that point. They were a fierce tribe. They were known for killing neighboring tribes, even fighting and warring against themselves and murdering one another. And so upon the first contact with that tribe, as these four men tried to begin to get to uh, initiate contact and share the gospel with them, all four of them were speared to death in 1956. And... And the world asked why. The world asked why. Why hadn't they used their guns to defend themselves against the spears of the Aka? After the massacre, Jim, Elliot's widow, Elizabeth, went and for three years lived among the Aka tribe trying to teach them language or learn their language so the Bible could be translated into their language. Why would she do that? Later on, the Akkas themselves, when they began to be able to communicate with the outside world, some of them who killed Jim Elliot and his party, some of them were even asking, why didn't they use their weapons? Why didn't they stop us? Why didn't they? Marcus said, that's what we would have done if the situation was reversed. We see in Stephen and we see in Jesus a different kind of bravery. A bravery that willingly gives its life for the salvation of others. If we look through the pages of the Bible, we see a lot of brave people. We have mentioned already tonight Joshua, who was certainly one. In Hebrews 11 and verse 35, note with me among all of the people of faith that are talked about in Hebrews 11, the writer says that there were women who received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Women receive their dead. What does that mean? That means they've had somebody in their family die. Maybe due to persecution, but we have uh, accounts in the Old Testament where women lost children, a prophet would come by and uh, perhaps raise that child from the dead. That happens a couple of times. Maybe that's what this is referring to. But there are great women of faith throughout the scriptures. and Some of them showing extraordinary bravery. It's interesting to me that uh, back in our text, what we started with tonight, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, where Paul says, be brave. The old King James Version says, uh, quit ye like men. We don't use that anymore, <laughs> that kind of phrasing. But it, it really means, it gets back to the original language. The original, the original language has to do with be a man. Be a man. But what's interesting to me about all of this is that sometimes it's women that show more bravery than men do. (laughs) So, uh, in in that context, women can be brave in this sense. And I just want to share uh, some instances of that to show you the kind of thing that we're talking about when we talk about biblical bravery as a virtue. It's exhibited not only in Stephen and Jesus, but in a great many women of faith throughout Scripture. We know at the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, women were greatly involved in supporting Jesus, caring for him during those darkest hours when pretty much the rest of the disciples had fled. It was Joseph of Arimathea who went to ask for the body of Jesus after he died, went to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus the text says in Mark 15, verse 43 about Joseph that he took courage and did that. And the reason he had to take courage is Joseph was a leader of the Jews. He'd been a secret disciple. He was a buddy with Nicodemus. They were both secret disciples. It took some courage to go for him to go get the body. And he went, goes and gets it. He's granted the body so he could bury it in his own new tomb. But what are the women? What are the women who stood by the cross? What are the women who watched as Joseph... Lay Jesus in the tomb. What are the women who came early Sunday morning to anoint the body of Jesus and uh, wrap it with spices? Luke 23 and verse 55. The women who'd come with him from Galilee followed after. They observed the tomb, how his body was laid. They returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. They rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Luke 24 and verse 1, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. That evening, Jesus' disciples were gathered in a room with the door closed for fear of the Jews. But not the women. not the women. What about the woman in Luke chapter 8 with the issue of blood? A woman in verse 43, having a flow of blood for 12 years, spent all of her livelihood on physicians, could not be healed by any. She is certainly brave just to go through those treatments, I would think, and experience all of this. She's coming up in Jesus. He's impressed by a crowd. He's trying to go to Jairus' house. She comes from behind. She touched the border of his garment. Verse 44 says, Immediately her flow of blood stopped. Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude strong pressed you. You say, Who touched me? Jesus said, Somebody touched me. I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. This was a fearful thing. In the midst of this crowd, let me just explain. <laughs> This woman is unclean. She's had a flow of blood for 12 years. That apparently is evident. She's in the middle of a crowd of people. How are they going to receive her actions? How's Jesus going to take it? But she comes anyway. And she declares to him in the presence of the people the reason that she had touched him. And how she was healed immediately. And he says to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. You go in peace. I see in this woman a lot of faith and the courage that went with it. What about the Canaanite woman that comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 15? In another text, she's called a Syrophoenician woman. Jesus has come to Tyre and Sidon, and this woman who's a Canaanite from that region comes and says to him in the middle of verse 22, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her, not a word. His disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away if she cries out after us. And so here this woman takes some courage, I'm sure, just to approach Jesus in this way. He's not giving her any attention. The disciples want her to go away. Jesus even speaks to her then. He says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I didn't come to help you, your people at this time. is what he's saying. But she came and rather than going away, imagine (laughs) what drives her. She comes and falls down and, and worships Jesus. Lord, help me, she says in verse 25. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Again, he's rebuffing her. Again, he's not acquiescing to her request. In fact, by implication, he's calling her a little dog, right? Somebody might take that as an insult. She says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. She's persistent. She's courageous. When a lot of women women of that day would not even have ventured to try to do what she's doing here. Approach a rabbi, a public teacher, on their own. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed. I'm always impressed with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, that Jesus encounters at the well in Sychar, or outside of Sychar, maybe we should say. Jesus traveling through Samaria with his disciples. He comes, he sits by the well. They go into town to buy some food. The woman comes in the middle of the day. And when we tell this story, it's often noted she's probably coming alone in the middle of the day because She didn't have any friends in the town. She wouldn't come with the women, and typically in villages, both ancient and modern, places like this where there's a water well, uh, the women come early in the morning to get the water for their day's chores and cooking and all of that. She didn't do that. So it's a pretty good assumption. She comes by herself because nobody come with her. Nobody else wanted her to come with them. She comes... Jesus, in the course of the conversation, lets her know that he knows all about her. He knows that she's had five husbands, and the one she's living with now is not her husband. He knows all about her. That's probably why she didn't have any friends. The text tells us in John 4 and verse 28, after Jesus has identified himself as the Christ. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I ever ever I did. Could this be the Christ? He went out of the city, they went out of the city and came to him. I believe she shows a tremendous amount of courage in going and witnessing to her village that she's found the Christ. That'd be hard for any of us to do. Apparently, because we don't do it a lot. We don't go out and tell the people of our village about Jesus. But she does. Man or woman. Apparently that takes some courage. I think all of these women uh, were living a spirit of courage and bravery such as that that we see in Esther, the queen of long ago. We remember Esther's story, uh, living among the Persians. Queen Vashti is deposed, and another queen is selected, and no doubt by the providence of God, Esther is selected to be queen. But there was an evil man by the name of Haman who plotted to destroy God's people. And Mordecai, Esther's relative, comes to her and warns her through messengers, Messengers warns her of the evil plot and what's about to occur. Mordecai told Esther, Esther 4, verse 13, Do not think in your heart that you will but escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance shall arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. None of us, none of us expects to be placed in a, in, a, in a situation that requires extraordinary courage. But who knows whether we're not put in a situation that requires extraordinary courage by God. We're put there. To accomplish his will. I don't think anybody expects to be there. Esther replies to Mordecai. With the message in verse 16. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. Fast for me neither eat nor drink. For three days. Night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That's the Spirit. That's bravery. I'm ready to give my life to do the right thing. To do the right thing to serve God. See, that's what Jesus calls all of us to do, isn't it? He who saves his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He's calling us all to be brave. To be courageous. To say, I'm going to do God's will. I'm going to stand up for his truth. I'm going to stand up, as Esther did, for his people. And if I perish, I perish. That's courage. It's a different kind of brave, isn't it? It's a different kind of brave from what we see so frequently in the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 and 4, the apostle says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We fight with weapons. Brave people fight with weapons, but Christians fight with weapons that are mighty in God. Peter, who as we noted, had drawn the sword in the garden. An act that uh, all of us would say, well, that's pretty brave, Peter. (laughs) Taking that sword with with that mob of of people coming to arrest Jesus and you you pull out your sword and go at it. That takes a little something. But it wasn't what Jesus wanted. And it wasn't the kind of bravery that that Peter needed. Peter who did that later exhibited a truer measure of courage and came to understand more about what Jesus wanted. It was later that night, you remember, that Peter denied the Lord three times before the morning came. A great failure of his courage. But not long after this. He's standing before the Jewish council. Questioned for his activities. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. The response of the Jewish council to his words. As he defends Jesus. When he tells them that there is no other name under heaven. By which men must be saved. Than the name of Jesus. It says that when the council saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. His courage was coming from somewhere. This boldness was coming from somewhere. And it's a boldness that would eventually lead. To Peter losing his life. We know that. Not because of. Some human tradition. But because Jesus said that to him. When you have at the end of the Gospel of John, a little fishing expedition, you know, and the big catch of fish, and Peter realizes it's the Lord, and then Jesus asks the Lord three times, do you, or Jesus asks Peter, three times, do you love me? I love you, I love you, I love you. And Jesus tells him, he says, you know what? When you were young, you went wherever you wanted to. <laughs> when you're old, Somebody's going to come bind you and take you where you don't want to go. And John says, Jesus said that signifying by what manner of death he would glorify God. I think Peter learned something about about bravery, didn't he? And exhibited it in his life. Same could be said about Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Let's let's just think about Saul of Tarsus for a minute. Uh, There's no doubt that Jews would have thought when Saul was persecuting the church, here here is a very courageous man. I mean, he's standing up against these infidels, (laughs) this false religion, these heretics. And he's, he's the one who's going out and making sure they get arrested and, um, making sure these evil people get, you know, taken off the streets and all this kind of stuff. And, and Solitar says, wow, what a, what a great courageous person. In the mind of the typical Jew, Paul writes about himself, about those days. He says, I advance in Galatians 1.14. I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He was gung-ho. Paul was to learn and exemplify the true meaning of bravery. From the outset, really. Barnabas declares about him when he uh, takes him to the apostles in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Right Right off the bat, Paul's preaching in the name of Jesus. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord, even in Jerusalem, teaching... The Hellenists that were there, they attempted to kill him. Acts 9 verse 29 says, He and Barnabas go on trips together preaching the gospel. They're mistreated virtually every place they go. In Acts 13 and verse 46, Paul and Barnabas, after being rejected by the Jews in Antioch of Pisidia, it was necessary, Paul says, that the word of God should first be spoken to those Jews But since they rejected it, Paul says, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. We turn to the Gentiles. And Paul and Barnabas then were expelled from that region. And on and on it goes. And yet Paul continues to stand. Years later in Acts chapter 19, in verse 8, he goes into the synagogue in Ephesus and he speaks boldly for three months after having been thrown out of every synagogue he's ever been in, stoned after preaching in some of them, Arrested after preaching in others. In Acts 19, he goes in the synagogue and preaches for three months. And finally withdraws the disciples into the school of Tyrannus. Later on, an uproar arises in Ephesus. You remember that story? Uh, the artisans who made the idols to the goddess Diana caused this uproar. And there's this huge mob scene. They're thrust into the theater, this, this huge 25,000-seat theater in Ephesus. This mob goes in there. And some are shouting one thing and some are another. And people are, just, it's just a riot almost. <laughs> and the text tells us in Acts 19 and verse 30 that Paul wanted to go into the people. You know, what's wrong with Paul, right? <laughs> what's wrong with him? The brethren wouldn't let him. Earlier in Philippi, of course, Paul had been arrested and beaten mercilessly. He and Silas thrown in the inner prison, put in stocks. You remember that night at midnight, they were singing. He's let out of jail there, and he goes to Thessalonica. First thing he does is start preaching the gospel, and there's an uproar in Thessalonica as well. He writes back to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 just a few months later probably. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 2. And he says, even after we suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi. He remembers what happened at Philippi. That beating and that night in jail and the conversion of the Philippian jailer. He says, we were shamefully treated at Philippi as you know. We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And again you have to say, what's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with him is courage and bravery. Later than all of this, later as Paul is in prison and writing back to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. Here's here's the thing. Here's what and we just touched a, a bare minimum of what Paul went through in his life. I know that. Philippians 1 and verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That's what we're talking about. If we live, we're going to glorify God. If, if it takes dying to glorify God, that's what it's going to take. What's this all mean to us? There's a passage I want to share with you. I thought about making this one of the passages that God spoke to Joshua, telling him to be of courage, good courage. There's three passages in Joshua one that are really great. Some other things he says there to the Israelites along the way of, you're only going to have to be courageous and trust me. But I selected this one passage to close with. Just want you to look at it. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Just trust God and do what He asks. I said we'd get to some applications. Can I speak just a moment to young people? Young people who face a ton of peer pressure every day in their lives, who are daily facing an avalanche of digital temptations on their phones and apps and other things, who have a... Whole society that's trying to mold them to be one thing when Christ is trying to mold them to be something completely different. Young people, can I just say to you be courageous. You have to be brave to be a Christian. You're not going to be able to go with the flow, you're not going to be able to go the same direction everybody else is. You're going to get hurt. People aren't going to like you, not like you'd like them to. Be brave. Can I say to young families who are trying to center their lives and the life of their families around Jesus and his word, and not, give in, not giving in to the materialism, the accumulation of things, and the pleasures of this world that just absolutely have eaten up our society, Be brave. You don't have to have what everybody else has. You don't have to do what everybody else does. Be courageous. Can I say to Christians who here tonight know the word of God and know the gospel plan of salvation and who want to speak the truth to neighbors and friends, to loved ones and strangers, Be brave. Be of good courage. He will strengthen you. Can I say to older Christians who may be limited by declining bodily strength and nearing the end of the earthly pilgrimage, but whose faith and love is boundless and unchained, can I say to you, be brave. The end may be near, but the crossing will be glorious, I'm assured. Can I say to those who tonight are struggling with sin, trying to gather the strength to confess it and forsake it, and to deal with the shame of it, be brave. And to those here tonight who are overwhelmed with disappointments and stress and health issues and family problems and relationship problems and financial issues. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Let us be brave. Let us be courageous. We have given our lives to Jesus. What a happy choice. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, be brave. Can you do that tonight? Would you come while we stand and while we sing?